You are listening to another episode of Frontline Medic Podcast with your host, Suzanne Exeson. In this episode, we are talking to Shep Heiken, who is customer service and experience experts, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller author of many, many books. Shep has worked with companies like In-N-Out Burgers, American Airlines, American Express, and Disney, just to mention a few. Shep main focus is on delivering amazing customer experience, customer engagement, and creating customer loyalty. So tag along as Shep shares some valuable advice on how you can make every customer experience awesome. Thanks, Shep, so much for taking your time to be here with me today. You call yourself the Sheep Amazement Officer. Can you tell me how did you come up with that title and what does it really mean? First of all, thank you very much for having me. Very excited to be here. Chief Amazement Officer came out of the idea that my goal is to, we have what I call a mantra. It's a one, it's three words. It's one sentence, always be amazing. And my goal is we can easily remember this. We always want to be amazing to our clients. We want to teach our clients how to be amazing to their customers, guests, members, whatever they want to call the people who do business with them. We also want to be amazing here in the office too and uh, take care of each other as internal customers. So I said, there's a lot of cool titles. I'm the owner, I'm the president, I'm the CEO. How about chief amazement officer? Because that's what we're trying to do. And we have great titles. For example, we have somebody in our office who does many different things. We call her the manager of many things. <laughs> Oh, my former assistant, she was the director of details, <laughs> which is a great title. In the interview, I said, if you wanted to have a title to describe what you would do, what would it be? And she said, director of details. I said, you're hired. Perfect. Perfect. I was just going to ask you, do you set the titles or do they set the titles themselves? I asked them, let's come up with something fun, but come up with what your passion is, and what you like doing more than anything. And that, by the way, is I've been very lucky. We got a team that manages all of the different things that we do just to make sure that I don't have to worry about it. And it's very difficult to compete against large companies that offer huge benefit programs, but we offer flexibility. We offer some benefit. We obviously offer good pay. But we know it's tough to keep good people, especially today. Here in the U.S., we're not in a recession. We're in a resignation where uh, employees are saying, I don't want to go back to work like we used to go back to work. So I'm going to quit. And if you quit, you don't get unemployment anymore. And you'll quickly learn it's better to have a job than not. But I digress. But what's happening is you have to be, you have to create an environment here that attracts people and keeps people. And pay is just part of it. But it's creating that culture that people want to be around, that fulfills them, that makes them want to engage with customers. And that's part of the secret of any great customer-focused organization is engaging with your front line and making them feel fulfilled and at the same time passionate about taking care of business, which is taking care of the customers. Who do you think sets that responsibility to creating a great customer experience in the business? It falls under leadership's responsibility and leadership has to define what it is. Just as I made that three word mantra, always be amazing. Every company should think about what their mantra is. And I actually call it that. And then a couple of my books I reference to create that mantra. As a matter of fact, in my newest book, which I will hold up because I'm so darn proud, I'll be back, how to get customers to come back again and again, which just came out recently. There's a whole chapter in there about creating that culture. 
And it starts with leadership, defining it. The Ritz-Carlton has a great definition of what their service vision is. And Horst Schultze, the first president and co-founder of the organization, said, we're ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. And those nine words became the North Star of that organization. And all the training and everything they do points toward that idea that, hey, we are ladies and gentlemen that serve ladies and gentlemen. So it starts with leadership. They have to define it. They have to communicate it really well to everybody so everybody knows it. They've got to train everybody to it. And that means everybody. And I know we're all about the front line, but to me, service is not a department. It's not just the front line. It's a philosophy to be embraced by everyone. And that means people even behind the scenes that never see the smiling faces of our customers and guests and clients and anything else we want to call our, our people that pay us to do what we do. That, that's just a start. Yeah, great. <laughs> so you wind me up and you're going to get me going. <laughs> so you, you hold up one book that you've written, but you also wrote another book that's called The Book of Moments, Moments of Magic. Uh, Moments of Magic, yes. yes. Which so was my you... very first book. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and can you please describe what a magical moment means from, from a customer point of view? Sure. So understand that in every book that I've written, every other book has what I call the foundational concepts. And a moment of truth, which is about a moment of magic, is one of the foundational concepts, that and creating amazement. So the moment of magic comes from this idea that Jan Carlson came up with back in the 1980s. He was asked to run an airline, Scandinavian Airlines. It was losing millions of dollars. And his goal was to turn it around and be successful and start making money, not losing money. And he did it by telling everybody about this concept of the moment of truth, which he defined as any time a customer comes into contact with any aspect of a business, they form a relationship or, or a, an impression. That is the moment of truth. Is that moment of truth going to be good or bad? And I have a term for the bad ones. I call moments of misery. Uh, by the way, there's a third one I came up with. It's called the moment of mediocrity. That's average, just okay, fine, if you will. Fine is not really fine. <laughs> it's not at all. Uh, but the moment of magic is anything that's positive. So anytime that customer, member, guest, whatever, has the opportunity to form an impression, we want it to be a positive one. Now, magic doesn't have to be over the top. It just has to be better than average. How much better? Tiny bit better. But if you're consistent with it, if you're consistently and predictably just a little above average, that means all of the time, you don't fall into that moment of mediocrity or that, that range of mediocrity. And what does this mean, being better than average? It means, hey, if I call you, you call me back within an hour or two. And when you do that, people go, wow, that was quick. Because the bar, unfortunately, on that one is set pretty low. How quick do I respond to an email? What you want your customers to say is, you know, when I reach out to them, they always get back to me. They're always so friendly. They're always so knowledgeable when I ask them questions. That word always followed by something positive. And I don't think being knowledgeable about what you do is all that much over the top, is it? Now, something falls in your lap. If there's a problem, a complaint, and you resolve it a certain way, and your goal when you have complaints is not just to fix a problem, but to actually restore the confidence. That's your chance to go a little bit more than just average uh, or above average. It's a little bit, some of those opportunities truly are times you can go over the top and do above and beyond what the customer expects in order to take care of them. I've talked about this in many of my speeches and my books that consistency is what creates trust. 
and anything that is a lack of consistency erodes it. And people want to do business with the companies they trust, the brands they trust. There's an old expression that says people want to do business with people they know and trust. Well, the knowing is li and liking is easy because we do a really good job often marketing and we create great press and PR. And that's, they like feel like customers feel like, well, they, we know who they are and what they're saying, but I don't trust them yet. I'll do business with them the first time and then the second time and until it becomes predictable and I actually own that experience because I know this is what happens whenever I do business with them. That's where the trust comes in. And it takes a little bit of time. And if you work for me, by the way, we have a standard. And if you don't hit that standard, there better be a reason why. Uh, and it better be a good reason because we know that our clients are impressed when we call them back quickly. So consistency is the key. That's what you're saying. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So tell me, what do you need to build a company culture that is known for great customer experience? And what sure. is so, the golden rule? Yeah, okay, we'll talk about that. We have a whole chapter in this on the new book, I'll Be Back. And if you think about it, everybody has to be in it to win it. That's the first principle. I have seven principles in there, and I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'm going to give you also something that isn't in the book, which is a little bit of a process, which I've already given you a hint of that. But everybody needs to be in it. And I mentioned that earlier, customer service and support is not a department. It's a philosophy to be embraced by everyone from the CEO to the most recently hired. So everybody's in it. Leadership has to define it. Leadership has to, what I call, practice the employee golden rule. Now, Suzanne, the golden rule you grew up with, right? Do unto others to be done unto yourself. And now we twist it a little bit for employees. We do unto employees the way we want them to do unto a customer. So you treat people the way you want your customers treated. You can't take people in the back and verbally abuse them and beat them up and say, you're lousy at what you do. Now get out there. And that incongruency erodes trust for the leadership. And you know what? It, it erodes the engagement because your employees aren't going to be happy or fulfilled. That's what that employee golden rule is about. You want to also empower people. You want to hire good people and you want to just let them do their job. And that means you need to manage them and mentor them and coach them. But if you hire good people and you show them you're allowed to do this, well, then let them do it. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. Yeah. Put the power in the people. Right. And if there's something they don't know what to do and they come and they ask you and you say, this is how you do it or it's okay to do it, then guess what you've just done? You've taught them and you should tell them you never have to ask me about this again. And eventually they learn and they learn. So let me give you a quick process. I mentioned, number one, you have to define your vision. We have that three-word mantra, always be amazing. The Ritz has, we're ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. You communicate it, you then train everybody to it, and everybody, including frontline, behind the scenes, because they need to know behind the scenes where they fit in. If somebody in the you know shipping department is all their job is to do is pack a you know box with product that the order you know comes in on, and they don't pack it properly and it's damaged. What happens when the customer opens it up? Responsibility with somebody who never ever sees or talks to the customer. So 
they need to know that they have a big impact, even if they feel like they don't, they really do. All right. So you train them. Number four is leadership is a role model and they treat people appropriately. That, that golden rule we talked about for employees. Number five, leadership and management must keep people in alignment. If they're going outside of where you want them to go, if they're not staying within what you want your culture to be, you need to talk to them. And that could be a person. It could be a department. If you're a large company, it could be a, a region. I have clients who say, we're doing great here in the U.S. and and in New Zealand, but boy, those people in another country, I won't mention them because I don't want to think thinking <laughs> on them. They're not doing so well. You know what? Somebody needs to fix that because here's what happens. You're only as strong as your weakest link. I can have a hundred employees or 10 million employees, but if my customer talks to the one employee that wasn't properly trained or wasn't properly hired, and that person doesn't represent my company, even though every other one does, guess what that customer thinks of my company? It's that impression based on that one employee. Leadership must keep them in alignment and then you must celebrate it when it's working. Define it, communicate it, train everybody. Leadership's a role model. Number five is keeping people in alignment. And number six is to celebrate it when it's working. Yeah, great. We all I can't believe I remembered all of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm very impressed. <laughs> and we all love a bit of celebration, right? <laughs> yes. What do you think is holding frontline leaders back to really empower the frontline teams to create that great uh, customer experience? What is one kind of single or like the main reason as you see it? Sure. It's trust. It's real simple. You have to trust the people that you hire to do a job. So here's what we do. Number one, and by the way, how do you make the trust happen is you watch, you observe, but you also need to consistently train people. When people are brought on, they're typically onboarded and they're giving training and training doesn't stop after they've, you know, had two days or, you know, two hours of training. Maybe it's two weeks of training. No, it goes on continuously. And so we have, and I'll share this with you. It's a pretty cool idea. It's actually the number one culture changing tool that we teach our clients in our training programs. And we call it the moment of magic card. And here's what we want to do. We want to teach people that they can, you know, take ownership. One of the ideas I have is, act like an owner, even if you're not the owner, if you're on the front line, you want your customer to experience somebody with authority and conviction and confidence. Okay. So what that means is uh, one to say yes, and to say no. And by that, it means that I can say yes to you if I feel confident that I'm doing the right thing. If I can't figure out a way say, to say yes, or take care of you the way I think you need to be treated, I then go back to my manager, my leader, and I say, hey, can you help me out here? I'm not sure what to do. And then the manager steps in and helps out. Okay. Once again, if I know I can say yes, I will say yes. If I can't say yes, or I can't do what the customer's asking, I go and ask the manager. And then once, as I said earlier, that manager tells me it's okay to do it. They've given me permission for life. Now let's say it's something that's not normal. It, it, that this typical situation, it's not a, a typical situation. It's important at the next team meeting to share that example so that the rest of the team can hear what this person was allowed to do so that they can go and do it themselves. Now, this idea I have about what I call a moment of magic card, this is just an index card. It could be a plain white card or it can, we, all, we have clever ones that say moments of magic across the top. And every week, and we do this in our company, and we have dozens, probably hundreds of companies now that are doing this yeah. uh, as well on a regular basis. When we have our weekly meetings, we all bring the moment of magic 
to our meeting and we share. I created a moment of magic for a client. Oh, what'd you do? They called and I called them back within an hour. They were so impressed, okay? So that's an example of a moment of magic. They can be big. We had a call from a client, or actually they weren't even our client. They were one of our competitor's clients, but that competitor, another professional keynote speaker, was hired to do a speech and he fell and broke his leg. And they're scrambling to find somebody and they somehow found us. Shep, you're available. I told them you were available. I told them you would do it. It's next week and you're open. And uh, I do have bad news. Their budget isn't anything close to what you normally charge. But you know what? Our job is to help our clients out. And this was an emergency situation. Now that's going over the top, okay? But you can see calling back somebody quickly is not over the top, but those are the little things that impress people. So we ask everybody to bring their example of when they created a positive experience, either for a customer or a fellow employee. Maybe it was, hey, we needed a report. They weren't sure how to do the calculation. They came to me within a minute. I figured it out. They were so happy. Okay. That's your internal customer. Anyway, uh, you do this on a regular basis and you start to hear a lot of the same stories over and over again. And you start to form in your mind what best practices are, what seems to be working. So I know I've thrown a lot at you here. So number one is you hire people, you train them and you empower them to do the job. Number two, teach them that they can act like an owner. And by doing so, it's that one to say yes, two to say no. So when they can say yes, they can act with authority and conviction. And number three, Practice this moments of magic exercise. Again, just take a a little index card. If you want to do it via email, if people can't meet, have them email it into the manager. And then the manager can, on a Zoom meeting, uh, talk to everybody, say, oh, hey, Suzanne, I understand that you created a great moment of magic and I have it in front of me. Why don't you tell the story? And so you all get to share these stories. By the way, they're two or three sentences long. They're not like you're writing a small novel. It's something very quick and simple. It takes literally a minute or two to do when you put it into practice. And that's so powerful, really, because yeah. you, yeah, you, everyone gets to hear it and you can learn from each other as well. Yes. So every organization has a goal, obviously, of acquire customer. How do you get a customer from being just a normal customer to a loyal customer? So we want customers to come back. We want to create loyalty, but everybody thinks loyalty is about a lifetime. So let's break it down into something much smaller. How about just simply this, the next time? So you want to ask yourself what I call the loyalty question. What am I doing right now to make sure that customer is coming back the next time they do business with us or want to buy whatever it is that we sell? Now, I could be in just a very normal interaction. Let's just say I own a store. They walk in my store, I greet them properly, I help them, I answer their questions, I sell them whatever it is we sell, I check them out, I thank them, I walk them to the door. And ideally, I've given them an experience that they would say as they walked away, wow, that was really nice. I think I want to go back. And that's that I'll be back experience. Maybe it's a customer calling with a complaint or a problem. And they're angry. And the way I resolve that, the way I calm them down, the way I turn it around, When I'm finished, as I mentioned before, we don't just want to fix a problem. We want to restore confidence. Maybe I've done that. That's going to make that customer want to come back the next time. So we understand fundamentally, lifetime loyalty is about the next time, every time. Now, what's going to drive the customer to come back isn't necessarily what's making them loyal. And that's important to understand. So I always talk about how repeat customers are gold. You want repeat customers. In a perfect world, those repeat customers turn into loyal customers and loyal customers are sacred. 
So why does a customer keep coming back again and again? Maybe I am giving them a good experience, but don't I should know that for sure. So I've got to find out the why be behind their behavior. It could be that maybe my store is closer than my competitor who's three or four miles down the road. And that means if the competitor were to move closer than where I am to my customer, I might lose that customer. Maybe the customer likes my what I call my loyalty program, which really isn't a loyalty program. It's a marketing program. It's trying to get the customer to come back by giving them an incentive. Maybe I own a restaurant and every time they walk in, I punch a little card. And at the end of five visits, I give them a free meal, which means if the fifth meal's free, it's basically a, a 20% discount. That's a discount program, not a loyalty program. It drives repeat business, but it doesn't drive emotional loyalty. And that's what loyalty is, an emotional connection. As a customer say, I want to do business with them. Why? They're just so friendly. I, I love them. They're just, it's, they're so easy. And they give you great adjectives describing how their experience is with you. And that's really the difference. I go for repeat business. That's the first thing you need to do. And ideally you do it in such a way that creates loyalty. One of the ways you do it is to sit down with your front line and you as a leader may know exactly what you want those standards to be. But why don't you ask the team, for example, how long do you think it should be before we respond to an email? See what they come up with. They may come up with the right answer. And then guess what? They're not going to argue with their own answers and then say, <laughs> OK, we're going to write that down. And this is what we're going to practice. Is this a reasonable expectation from everyone? Sure it is, okay? And you start to ask your people what they think and get buy-in from them. Sure, as a leader, you can set guidelines and let them know. The other thing I want to emphasize is as you're trying to empower people to do the right job, you must teach them where that line in the sand is that they're not supposed to cross. You want to try to push them to get right up to that line. Let me give you an example. And I think I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but I think it's a really good one. I do a lot of work in the automotive industry. And one of my clients is a, what I would call luxury car manu automotive uh, manufacturer. And they have a team. I'm going to say it's about 15 people. And their job is to go around here in the U.S. I'm sure it's the same in other parts of the world. But their job is to go around to different dealerships throughout the U.S. and all of the 50 states, even though there's only 15. And their job is to deal with the most difficult customers that don't seem to be happy at all. Okay. Yeah. So the dealer is doing everything they possibly can to take care of this customer, but it just doesn't seem to be working. So they call on this team and this team then starts to interact with the customer. And the team has the permission to even if the car is three, four, five years old, they can give the customer all of their money back, even though the car's old, which is oh, crazy wow. because yeah. the moment you drive the car off the lot, starts to lose money, right? Okay, but they have permission to do that. How many times since they've started this program, probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, how many times do you think they've had to refund 100% of the money? Zero. <laughs> Exactly. Thanks for playing the game. And here's the interesting thing. They have permission to do it. That's the line in the sand, right? They're allowed to go. They're allowed to go to that line, but they've never had to because they figure out other ways to resolve the issue. So yeah. it's a cool idea and it's a great example. And I think that there, we should empower our front line to do the, those types of things. On the exact opposite spectrum, I was on vacation with my wife. We were at a resort in Mexico, as a matter of fact, and beautiful place. And I ran into a friend there 
And I said, hey, why don't we meet you guys for breakfast? It was another couple that we knew from St. Louis, Missouri, where I live here in the US. And they said, great. So we show up to the restaurants, very crowded, but we see two tables. They're, they're side by side. There's just a little bit of space. And we ask if we can push the tables together so that we can sit together. And the, the person says, hold on just a moment and brings the manager over to us. And I, I have to repeat the story. And I, I'm like, is this not a big deal? Couldn't she have just said, okay? The manager said, manager said sure, not a problem. So we pushed the tables together and we said, this was so much fun. Let's do it again tomorrow. So we show up the next day and guess what? Same exact situation. Restaurants crowded and those same two tables are there separate. And the same person who greets us, the host, uh, we ask, is it okay if we push the tables together? And you know what happened? That host went and asked the manager again. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh my God, <laughs> talk about a lack of empowerment for something so simple. But that's exactly what happened. So there's the exact opposite of what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, great example. So yeah, I guess then set clear guidelines for for your frontline employee what they yep. actually can do and what you know cannot do. <laughs> yep. So yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah. What would you say is the single most important attribution for a great frontline employee? Wow. I think you start with their attitude because there's so many things that you can train people to. In one of my books, The Amazement Revolution, I interviewed a gentleman named Jim Bush, who was at the time, the senior vice president worldwide, executive level, the highest guy up. They actually called him the customer service czar. He was with American Express. And he said, if I have a choice of hiring somebody that has 10 years experience in a support center, or hiring somebody that's worked in a hotel for the last 10 years, it's never been on the phone like this. He goes, I'm going to hire the person from the hotel because we can teach them how to you know, type in words and move around the screens and, and use the computer program. But that hospitality mentality, oh my gosh, that's so powerful. That's what he wants on the front line. Now that may not be right for everybody, but I do believe that the attitude, and there are certain skills, for example, we had a client that was a healthcare organization and they wanted to hire nurses. Well, nurses have a certain skill, they're licensed, they've gone yeah. through a lot of schooling and all that. So that you do need sometimes people with a certain level of skill, but this hospital couldn't find nurses that had the right attitude. They were doing all types of behavioral style assessments to make sure that they hired the right personality to fit with the culture, not just somebody that had the skills. They literally shut down half of a floor because they couldn't properly staff the nurses. And that was more important that they shut that down instead of having somebody in there that would potentially erode the reputation by doing something that was not congruent with what they believed in. That's, that's a powerful statement. Does that answer your question? Definitely, hire for attitude. <laughs> Yep. That's an old saying, hire for attitude, train the skill. I think attitude is really important. And it's not just attitude, it's personality. Make sure that personality fits in with your culture. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. That was all the questions I had. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Frontline Magic Podcast with your host, Susan Exeson. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at susan at frontlinemedic.org with any feedback or thoughts that you would like to share on this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Ask Nicely. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star rating. Frontline Magic provides you with the tools, insights, and inspirational stories you need to deliver an awesome customer experience. Sign up for free and learn more on frontlinemagic.org. And thanks for making Frontline work awesome.